Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Are we world-class enough? Can never be world-class enough. Touche, old friend. But you can be world-classless enough. Ooh. Nailed it. Coming to you almost live from the Rogers Center in T.O., the very center of the universe. This is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. We are your gracious hosts. Gracious, excited. Um, there's a Drunk, lot. possibly. I might, I might have had a beer. I or, might, or five. Or five. It's true. I've been, <laughs> I've been setting up to do this podcast for a long time. In fact, we've been setting up to do this podcast for a long time. It's true. Uh, this is a long-delayed episode. Very much And so. it's long-delayed for very legitimate reasons. The original weekend, we were going to record it two weeks ago. Yes. Uh, an emergency came up last minute. And I'll tell you a little bit about it later. Uh, Adam had to fly with haste to Saskatchewan. Yep. Um, then the people of Saskatchewan needed me, Scott. It's true. <laughs> the Rosenheart signal hit the clouds. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you fled across the prairies to answer the call. Uh, then two, or then rather a week ago, uh, when we had intended to make up for not recording it, yeah. I came down with the stomach flu and could not leave my home. Now this was, this was just, uh, random stomach flu this wasn't a food poisoning thing or anything no anita had had it earlier in the week and i thought i had dodged the bullet but uh late in the week i developed the exact same symptoms that she had exhibited and could not leave my home because i needed to be near a toilet of course of course um so we were unable to record last weekend and so here we are at long last finally recording a very special episode. And it's special. Of the Unknown Studio. It's very special because of a, a certain number that is relevant in base 10. It is our centennial <laughs> episode. Here we are. Episode number 100, Q Fanfare. Um, we're very we excited. Famously, I went on record saying I expected this podcast to last Eight episodes, because you and I are busy men who get bored easily. <laughs> yes. And yet here we are, exactly 92 episodes later than I expected. Yeah. Yeah, we did it. We did it, and we did it together, and we did it thanks to you, our listeners, who for for reasons unknown to us... It, yeah, con- have continued to listen. It's, it's fantastic, and we're, I, I'm pretty excited about it. It's a big milestone for us. It is. I mean, we. This is our fifth season. We've we've done this for five seasons, and it has taken us an odd, ungodly amount of time to get to one hundred. Partly, though, that's because we always, much like the last two weeks, stuff comes up and we're unable to record. Completely, yeah. And we did have a slightly truncated fourth season as well. True. Yeah. So very true. And and this has been. I mean, it's been a difficult and challenging year for us because things have come up with our schedules, but. But we are on track, and we're we're going to deliver to you at least nineteen episodes as we have in uh, in the seasons prior, if not more. It's true. Yeah. Now uh, we hemmed and hawed and planned and unplanned and replanned and 
anti-planned. Yes. Uh, to do something special for our 100th episode. And in the end, we decided, you know what? No. It's going to be a regular episode. It is. We will mention the fact that it's our 100th episode, but it's just going to be special. It is. It's- will we have... Some sort of super episode in the near future, possibly, but for a random number. <laughs> yes, it'll be, it'll be utterly meaningless to anyone but Scott and I. That's right. That's that's the way we roll, I guess. But otherwise, with the exception of this kind of preamble, it will be a normal episode. Now, I will I will say it, it, it is it is slightly abnormal because the guest that you'll be hearing later on, one of them, is is the representative from one of our longest standing sponsors. So we'll be having Owen Brierley on the show to talk about the last play of the Citadel season, Make Mine Love, because there's some very interesting technical stuff uh, that occurs in that play that Owen was uh, a big part of. So we will be talking to him. Um, but for now, I mean, I guess I can I can say uh, that we need to be consistent, Scott. I think it's important that we discuss What's happening outside? And that would be the weather. That would be the weather. Uh, basically, at this point, we have a regular weather update in our podcast. Just because that's we should, the nature We should of hire here. a meteorologist just to well, do a one short weather update. Hire is such a strong that's word. That's true. We should <laughs> have a volunteer meteorologist at this point for our podcast. It's beautiful outside. It's fantastic. I'm actually wearing shorts and sandals today. For the first time? Well, for the first time where I can comfortably walk outside dressed like this. Fair enough. I've also worn shorts already this year, but it was a rather cool day outside. I was Mm -hmm. wearing them inside uh, and switched to pants when we we went to leave the house. Also, because I have horrific bird legs and don't want anybody (laughs) to see them. (laughs) Oh, man. So someone might. You never know. Fair enough. I uh, famously won a contest on Anita and I's cruise. Uh, it was a Mr. Sexy Legs contest. I won the prize for Most Needs a Tan. Mr. Most Needs a Tan Legs. Wow. Did you get like a sash or anything? Uh, like I that? got a little card and I won a beer. A single beer. A single beer. That's what you get for having pasty, skinny for legs. pasty, skinny legs. That wow. is correct. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I feel like, uh, feel like we're very close to having summer. And I tweeted earlier today that uh, for me, summer doesn't officially arrive until they turn on this. There's this lovely blue fountain on the Victoria Promenade um, near 117th Street, and I live close by there. And that's when I know that this the thing shit just got real when they turned when they turned the fountain on for the summer. It is not on yet as of this recording. Uh, Anita, when she lived in one of the sketchier neighborhoods in Edmonton, uh, briefly. Uh, knew that summer had come when she could look out her window and the uh, prostitute <laughs> on the corner was wearing her miniskirts again. Oh, that's very sweet. So that is how she knew that. Good old Edmonton. Uh, fantastic. Other people think this town is fantastic as well, Scott. And it's true. Uh, recently, a, uh, a blogger for the Toronto Star uh, posted a review about how wonderful Edmonton is and how we have this <laughs> burgeoning food scene and and how our culture has come so far it, from from just 10 years ago. It was it was actually, uh, I mean, a lot of people have talked about it. I don't think anyone has read it very carefully. It's actually one of the most <laughs> backhanded articles about the city I've it's read. It's quite condescending. <laughs> it really it's, is. it's like the blogger is giving Edmonton a pat on the head and saying, good on you, slugger, for trying to be. And 
like every point he he I, I want to say it's a he. I think I it is. I can't remember yeah. the name Jim, off the top of my head. It's uh, sorry. It's Jim Byers' travel so, blog. There you go. So every point that he makes is underscored. Like every paragraph is like this is going on in Edmonton, but it's not as good as X anywhere else. Yeah, it, it's kind it, of funny. He likens us to Calgary, to Winnipeg, to tons of stuff in Toronto, and how we're just about almost as good as this. But you can get a really great taco here. And, and, yes. and that is the sign of, dare I say it, a world-class city. There you go. Um, Our it, tacos have put us on the map. <laughs> well, Tre, Tres Carnales tacos have put us on the map. It, it was kind of a condescending article, though. Mm-hmm. I do agree with that point. And Ah, it's it's almost like he was ashamed to have enjoyed some stuff in Edmonton. Yeah. And, I mean, kind of felt the need to write about it, but wanted to not... He didn't want to give anybody an impression he really liked it here, because God forbid. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I almost, I'm almost loath to call attention to it, because, you know, we're just, we're just feeding the fires of, of the, you know, this sort of weird reverse chip on its shoulder that Edmonton seems to have. But I do want to talk about it, and we are talking about it, because it it was interesting to see some of the responses that I got when I posted about it on Twitter earlier today. Um, You know, uh, you had a very good point. You you said they can sneer down their nose at Edmonton. Has-been cultural centers tend to do that to the upcoming cultural hubs, which I thought was really funny. you know, Daniel Kazor, who's a former Edmonton resident, now lives in Toronto, works at the National Post, said, you know, Edmonton mayor, yeah, he said, yeah, Edmonton mayor may not be Canada's whatever, but it, but if it is, you won't be reading it in the Toronto Star, which I thought was a really good point and kind of indicative of what people may think about the Toronto Star, even in Toronto. But, you know, I, you, you said kind of a reverse chip on our, chip on our shoulder, Pardon me. Yeah. Uh, in Edmonton, I, I think we have every reason to be proud of our city. Yes, yeah, so I think. And we I do think too. that we have every reason to be vaguely insulted when somebody writes a condescending article about it. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you in some way, but then I got this great tweet from Mac Mail who said the bigger problem is that too many people in Edmonton lose their minds when someone writes about us like they can't believe it. So it's almost like, you know, should we even bother calling attention to that? To this sort of thing? Like, who cares? And I, I sort of agree with that. I mean... I doubt that New York gets all bent out of shape anytime somebody writes about New York. No, I don't think they have, like, a Google alert for when people talk about... They probably don't care all that exactly. much. And you know what? That's a fair point. Edmontonians put a lot of stock on what other people think about Edmonton. And I think it's because... And we've, we've discussed this before. Mm-hmm. It's because of the underlying sort uh, of... Lack uh, of confidence? yeah sort of lack of confidence about the city. And so whenever somebody does talk about it, it we we immediately take note. It's like we're it's like we're we have a little bit of shame about our city still. We we seem to be in some ways and I'm not, I'm this is very generalized, but uh, we do seem to seek validation from outsiders. Because we're not confident. Which is ridiculous. In, in our own city. We should be confident in yes. our own city. Because it is a really great place to live. And there are very interesting uh, things happening here that I think we should all be quite proud of. Agreed. So while uh, Jim Byers' condescending blog was exactly that, I mean, it's nice that he was here and that he had a good time and, and, that, and that Edmonton could almost be, 
It is the fifth largest Canadian city. It could be probably the fifth best Canadian city as well. Maybe. Maybe. If it tried. We'll see. A little hard. Once the arena is built downtown. Maybe. Obviously, that's going to solve everything. Yeah. Clearly. Clearly. Now, um, today is is the day that we're recording uh, is also the first day that the uh, city center farmer's market is brought back outside onto 104th Street. Where it belongs. Where, yeah, I mean, you know, it spends its winter in the parkade beneath City Hall, which is great. I mean, it's so cool that they get to do it all year round. But it's nice to have it out in the sunshine again. And, And today was a sunshiny day. Now, we have an absurd number of farmer's markets, at least by my reckoning. I mean, there's one downtown, there's Old Strathcona, there's Collingwood, there's Windermere, there's South Edmonton Common. The one right next door to where I work, Mother's, uh, where Mother's Music was. Uh, there's one in Mill Woods. There's one in St. Albert, I imagine. There's one in Sherwood Park. Uh, yeah, if you include the regional stuff. The one in St. Albert is enormous. It's huge. And they both being one of the largest ones in Alberta. I, I think that's actually true. And, and, and so um, my question to you is, like, Oh, sorry. One more. 124th Street. Also, well, we don't want to not mention a farmers market. They would be on our butts. Yeah, we would never. We would hear about it on our Twitter feed. We'd never be able to buy potatoes <laughs> again. Um, but is is are we? Is this something that is occurring as a result of demand, or is this people? Well, there must be a demand for because people go to them. I guess so. And I mean, I. Nita and I will walk over to the Mill Woods one because it's close enough we can walk, and we'll buy vegetables on. Thursday or whenever it happens to be up. <laughs> There's like one every week, every day of the week. Pretty much. I, I don't know. I guess my question is, is is there, are there too many? I, I, it sounds like there aren't. It sounds like they're just serving the needs of different regions of the city. Well, and I have to imagine that uh, there are some places that may be set up at multiple farmer farmers markets as well yeah, you'll get, throughout the week. You'll get duplicate vendors, I suppose. Yeah. But but I guess it's not convenient for everybody to, to cruise to the south side or downtown to, to pick up produce or crafts or whatever it is they're looking for. So maybe this is the sign of a world-class city. This is truly... Uh, uh, all of the farmers coming they, into town to sell their wares, can their you get, goods. Can you get tacos there? I mean, uh, there, The taco in the bag cart might be well, set up somewhere. Shit. I, uh, <laughs> I stand whatever... They definitely set up at all the festivals. Yeah. And yeah. the festivals are going to start getting underway shortly. Yeah. What's the first one that sort of kicks it off? Oh, you know what? You've put me on the spot. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. And I don't know. But I, I, I literally don't know either. So. We will look that up. Yes. And we will uh, mention it we'll definitely in the near future. It. So um, Scott mentioned that we are delayed getting to our 100th episode. and, and uh, Part of the reason was because you had to leave town. Yeah. And you did say at the top of the show you would address that fact. So why I think this is as good a time as any. Why don't I tell you a story? So um, my, uh, my little brother who lives in Saskatoon with his beautiful sister-in-law, and their son, Samuel, uh, were expecting their second child uh, to come right around now, actually. This, this was the point at which she was due. And, uh, but a few weeks ago, um, they woke up in the middle of the night, thought that Anna's water had broke, turned on the lights, found out that had not been the case, and promptly got her to the hospital, whereupon they removed my new nephew, who, by the way, is fine. I'll tell you that right off the top. Kind of left everybody in suspense there for a moment. So he's okay. Uh, His name, by the way, is Scott. And rightly so. (laughs) Scott Ian Walter Rosenhart was born, but not without some complication. Um, In fact, when he came out uh, of his mom, they had to spend about 10 to 15 minutes reviving him. So he was without oxygen for a really long time, which is terrible, of course. 
And uh, so then we sort of waited for about a week to figure out what the deal was, whether this had negatively impacted his brain or not. Um, so, you know, over the week, he's getting a little bit better. He starts breathing on his own. His platelet levels improve, all that stuff. And they do um, an EEG or a couple of EEGs to figure out what the sort of brain activity was like. It wasn't super positive, but they they were like, okay, well, you know, it also wasn't conclusive. So they uh, put him through an MRI um, and they discovered some some lesions on his brain. The good news is the gray matter, the, 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 the cortex, the intellectual stuff is untouched. The bad news is some of his white matter has some scars on it. And it looks like he'll develop cerebral palsy in his life. So he'll have probably a speech impediment, some kind of physical disability. But mom and dad are just happy that baby's alive and that he, he like all Rosenhearts, will be extremely brilliant, I'm sure. So it was a little touch and go for a while there. I was out of sorts because between that work and the, and the Yeggies, which we should also talk about in this episode, it was, uh, it was, um, it was challenging to figure out what was happening. But I've, I've received photos and texts and phone calls from my brother and sister, and he's doing well. He's, he's drinking mom's milk, and in about a week, he'll be home. So it's very good. Now, speaking of new arrivals to... Uh the planet to the planet. <laughs> uh, Alberta had a record number of births last this year. This is true. They, uh, Service Alberta released the uh, numbers for the um, for the the last year for the last calendar year. So two thousand thirteen. Yeah, and uh, there was fifty thousand something something in the range of fifty thousand uh, births. In Alberta this year, which is good news for the population of our province. This is the new baby boom, really. And they also released uh, all of the names yes. of those babies so that you could see what the most popular names were for the year. Um, I've put myself on the spot again. I want to say Liam was number one this that is, year. That is correct. For and, boys? Uh, for girls, it was Olivia. That's right. Uh, now, there were 16 Scots, born in Alberta last year. That's Scott, you'd think would be a more popular name. That's very exciting. Uh, but it is a name that's kind of dropped off in the last couple decades. It's not as popular as it once was. But uh, I'll take 16 new Scots in Alberta. I think that we, we are continuing to be well represented. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head how many Adams were born last year. I imagine that it is a much more popular name. They are definitely not in the top 10. So, so who knows? But what, what's kind of interesting about the report that was released by Service Alberta is that there are um, some Hunger Games and Game of Thrones inspired names. That's there. true. There was one Daenerys. That's right. And, amongst the girls. And a Tyrion as well. In, well, in the boys, not in the girls. Sorry, yeah. And then also... Uh, there were two girls born this year who were named Siri. At, right, yeah. Named after the iPhone, obviously. Yep. Um, parents who really love technology. There were a couple of pitas and primroses, if you're a Hunger Games fan. That's right. Um, let's see here. I'm, I'm just looking at uh, the There are some the Harry journal. Potter names that remain quite popular. Uh, your Hermione's, your Dracos. There were actually a number of Dracos born in Alberta last year, some of them with variant spellings, though. Is that right? Yep. One of my favorites... Um, so uncommon boys' names, according to this article in the journal, included Heaven Dip, Thunderheart. Thunderheart, obviously, the best name. Obviously. Uh, unless, you know, he 
he turns out to be really diminutive and quiet, that would be, that'd actually be kind of interesting. Ironic. Yeah. It'd be an ironic name. And good luck. Good luck. But one of my favorites, which is actually, this is the name given to a child of one of the people who works uh, for Nate Box at Elm Cafe and District Coffee Co. and all that. Whiskey Jack. Or just Jack, you know. But I think that's a really cool name. Whiskey Jack. Whiskey Jack. Like, this guy's going to be a logger for sure. (laughs) A lumberjack. Obviously. Or just a jack of whiskey. Yeah. I I don't actually know what's involved in that. Fair enough. It sounds... Pretty good, though. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. So actually, so speaking of names, um, as you guys know, one of our sponsors is Oodle Noodle. Yep. And we are very grateful to them for their support. We're not? Or why are you drawing well, no, I was. There? I was going to continue where you were going, but then there was an awkward pause. <laughs> Please do. Uh, we have, at long last, mm-hmm. some prizes from our sponsors yeah. to give out, or from our one sponsor, from Oodle Noodle. That's right. We have some gift cards. Or yeah. not gift cards, they're coupons. Gift certificates. Yeah. yeah. So th- we've got uh, a few $20 gift certificates uh, to give away. You can use those at any Oodle Noodle location. They don't ever expire because that would be terrible. Um, but if you if you haven't tried Oodle Noodle, and even if you have, uh, you need to go. And, and if you win one of these things, go and sing our praises. And the only there's only one way you can win these, Scott. And what is that? Well, you are fond of referring to yourself. As Scott C. Bourgeois. That is correct. I use my middle initial. It adds intrigue and allure to the... An otherwise, al- an otherwise bland I, name. I was just going to say, to the already interesting person that you are. <laughs> but it's totally up to you. So what we would like for people to do to enter to win a $20 gift certificate from Oodle Noodle is to email scott at theunknownstudio.ca with what you think the C stands for. That is correct. Now, I'm not going to promise that I'm going to give a uh, uh, a gift certificate to the person who correctly guesses my middle name. No, because that, that would be, be terrible. That would be boring. Yeah. And then someone somewhere would know what my middle name is. Because right now, only your mother and your wife know what your middle name is. <laughs> Pretty much. I've known Scott for a long time, and I have no idea what the C stands for. Uh, I will, however, give uh, gift certificates to the most interesting assumptions. What do you think the C stands for? Hmm. If... Uh, if you intrigue me with your answer, you might win some delicious noodles. So be very creative because Scott is not easily intrigued. Because that a, you can do that with the word intrigue, right? Sure. Cool. And just so you know, I also have a C as my middle name. And if you try and guess mine, you will be automatically eliminated from the contest. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There you go. That's our big contest uh, with Oodle Noodle. And we're very happy to have them as Speaking a of big contests, yeah, there was a big contest recently in town uh, for awards for the best use of social media. That is true. It's called the Yegis. The second annual Yegis happened. Now, uh, full disclosure, I had intended to go to the Yegis. Uh, I was, in fact, comped to go to the Yegis, yeah, to I, be perfectly honest. Scott is my business partner and friend, and so I make him come to things with and me. And then I couldn't go because I had the stomach flu. It was the same <laughs> weekend that I got sick. And no so one, I ended up no-showing. No one would have noticed. But I don't think anybody did until I drew attention no, to it. No, I mean, no one would have noticed that you've been <laughs> sick all over the floor. <laughs> that, I was, that I was violent projectile vomiting 
all over the walls. It was a lot of that that evening. Fair, well, it was a drunken affair the first year, so I assume that it was much the same the second year. Absolutely, it was. Fair enough. What was the, inform me and our listeners, how did the Yankees go? It was, it exceeded my expectations. Now, you guys have to know that because I am basically the, the event producer, and I work with a team of really great people, including Brittany LeBlanc, Matt Mayle, uh, Mac, Matt Mayle. Matt Max lesser known brother, (laughs) Matthew J. Mayle, sorry, Mac Mayle, Jennifer Banks, Andrew Moshuk, Trent Wilkie, and did I I said, did I say Eldon Kimson? No, but you just did now. Eldon Kimson, who is our creative director and does all the visual stuff. Um, It was a great show. It it really did exceed my expectations. We gave away... um, we gave away 17 awards in about two hours. It was really quick. The show started with a song by Trent Wilkie singing uh, what I, I don't believe I know the title of the song, but it was basically the No Pants Yeggies. So strumming his guitar. We had, we had uh, DJ Thomas Culture um, playing people up to the stage. And then afterwards, we had a little bit of a dance party. We did it at the Avenue Theater which is, in fact, one of the last shows that will happen in that place because, unfortunately, the Avenue Theater is closing. Its owners want, would like to sell. Um, but it went really well. I think people were really happy. Um, it was a great night. It was a lot of fun. I'm sorry you missed it. I am also sorry that I missed it. I did uh, have a good time the first year. Yeah. In spite of the fact that I could not win an award. And you, you won't be able to win an award for as long as I'm on the committee. Which is why you need to leave that committee. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it was a good time. I got to present an award last year. Yeah. Um, and uh, had a good time doing that. And it was nice just being able to uh, socialize with and network with a bunch of the uh, movers and shakers on social media here in Edmonton. I think that's what... You know, the awards aside, which which are truly the entertainment for the evening is really giving away those awards. But I think that's what people are excited about is hanging out with folks they might not other see otherwise see in real life and getting to know them a little bit better. So that was pretty exciting. There you go. Yeah. So I will say one more thing. Sure. Um, uh, I, I need to thank everyone who was involved, of course, including our sponsors, which are listed on yeggies.com. I'm going to forget them if I try to list them all off. But huge thanks to Elm Catering, Nate Box, and his team of, of chefs and servers. Uh, the food was exquisite. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing it again next year. It'll be great. I don't know where we'll do it because... Avenue was shut down. Time to go back to the Shaw. But we'll uh, we'll figure something out, <laughs> definitely. So it was great. It was really good. All right. So uh, we'll take a, a short break. Yeah. And we'll be back in a moment with Owen Brierley. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out the Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878. We should, uh, we should take a moment. We should take a moment. A long pause, if you will, to thank our sponsors. Uh, one of them 
is already here. Yes. It is Owen Brierly, the uh, Dumbledore-esque headmaster of Guru Digital Arts College, the Hogwarts of social media here in the City of Champions. Yeah, so if you're interested in a career involving the digital arts, whether it's illustration, uh, 2D or 3D, uh, game design, um, uh, web design, that sort of thing, Guru is the place to go. You can visit them at gurudigitalarts.com. Or just head to the historic Mercer Building downtown, drop in, say hi. I'm sure Owen would be happy to show you around. I would think so. Uh, of course, our other sponsor. Who we've already talked about a little bit. And we will talk about again. Yes. The delicious Oodle Noodle. So many noodles. They are everywhere for your convenience. It's true. And uh, we have, once again, some prizes to give away, some $20 gift certificates. Yep. So be sure to email me directly, Scott, Scott at theunknownstudio.ca. And uh, what do you think the C in my name stands for? Could it stand for curry? It might. It might. You might have just won yourself a $20 gift card. I seriously doubt it. Except you did not because you are ineligible for the prize. The best thing that I heard about Oodle Noodle, who was one of the sponsors at the Yeggies, by the way, from Trent Wilkie, was that that the name isn't actually accurate because they do sell oodles of noodles, but they actually resell the same noodle every time. It is the same noodle? Yeah. Gross. (laughs) They just have one long noodle. (laughs) That they've been chopping up. Yeah. Uh, You'll notice your boxes are getting smaller when you order from them. Just kidding. No. They don't do that. They're very good. They're an Edmonton-based business. You should support them. Go to oodlenoodle.ca. And hey, guess what? They actually deliver. They do. To anywhere. Yeah. Well, within reason. Yes. I mean, they they won't deliver to you at the International Space Station. Uh, Well, not yet. They might try. Yeah. I mean, they'd give it an effort. Yeah. They would launch a missile and almost certainly kill a lot of people. (laughs) Just to try and get you your noodles. So thank you. Thank you to Guru and to Oodle Noodle for sponsoring the show. Well, we're very fortunate to be back in the studio with not only one of our former guests, but also a current sponsor. One of our, one of our, our longest sponsor. That's right. Period. Not one of our longest. Well, I suppose Oodle Noodle at this point is also one of our longest sponsors. (laughs) That's just the way it goes in the podcasting game. Owen Brierly, welcome back to the Unknown Studio. Oh, thanks, guys. You look particularly wizardish today, might I add. Oh, thank you. It's it's the chapeau. The chapeau, yes. It's very good. It's very good. We often joke that Owen Brierly is not unlike a wizard, a digital wizard. (laughs) And it's good to see that he is now just... Fully embracing that. He's leaning into it. Yeah. <laughs> why Why deny who you are? Why deny? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, Owen, we're not, we're not just having you on here because we like you. Uh, that's oh. one of the reasons, obviously. Yeah. But that's not the only reason. Okay. You were part, you have been, are currently part of the latest production wow. at the Citadel. Technically, I've um, I've been telling everyone I am contractually obligated <laughs> to step away from the show. Why? Uh, Why is because that? Of, because it has opened. So my contract was as designer or co-designer uh, of the show um, that I w- I worked on the show until opening night, and then once the show opens, it is set, and uh, and so for better or worse. It is the that is the show that will play from now until the close. That's right. So now the show we're talking about is called Make Mine Love. It's the last of uh, the Citadel's season uh, for the year. It is a true Edmonton original. It was written by Tom Wood. Yeah. 
directed by Bob Baker and has a shit ton of Edmonton actors in it, like even John Uliot and Mm -hmm. uh, what's the leading lady's name? I'm going to forget. Rebecca Northern. Rebecca Northern. Yeah. Um, And it's it's a bit of a... Mark Oh, yeah, Mark Mears in it. He, he plays, is known to be a local man about town. He plays yes. two people, and not a single one of them is Commander Shepard, if you can believe that. <laughs> it's, it's, dis, it's so disappointing. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it actually did open this past Thursday, yep. which also happened to be your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just an auspicious day all around. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was quite a gift. <laughs> now, uh, it is unusual, uh, your involvement in this play and, and some of the the technology that was used. So... Maybe tell us a little bit about what exactly your and, and your partner Jordan's role was in, in developing Make Mind Live. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to backtrack. I'm going to go back three years, actually, to, to uh, August 2011. Um, I, I had an email from uh, uh, the Citadel team to come in and talk to the designers, the, the set designer, uh, Breda, um, the sound designer, uh, Owen Hutchinson, uh, Bob, Tom, and a few other folks uh, who were participating in some early workshops uh, to develop uh, this play. And, and one of the big questions was they wanted to have this um, car chase through downtown New York in 1938 with three actors in a car on the stage and they wanted to figure out how they were going to tell this story of racing through downtown New York in a car on stage. And so um, my pitch to them actually uh, three years ago was to um, use some kind of simulated environment. Um, and by simulation, I mean games. And, uh, and I, I had it in my head that we would use a game engine to, uh, to create this simulated environment. And really, honestly, I had no clue whether we could pull it off or not. This I, was, I'd this never was done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. So, so, but I was sort of putting all the Lego parts together in my head. Um, and, and I thought, well, you know, if we can combine uh, some gaming technology and, and a few other ways of doing things and, and do some digital magical stuff, then, then we might you know, pull it off and, and get something worthwhile. Um, and so a, f- a little bit of time went by and I started to get into this thing called uh, projection mapping, video projection mapping. And uh, I had the very good fortune of, of a meeting and, and working with a, a gentleman named Bob Barniel, who is a, uh, a brilliant uh, video projection designer. Uh, and he... Um, he introduced me to all sorts of interesting ideas uh, around um, how to take uh, video content of all forms and map it into uh, non-standard surfaces, breaking out of the you know standard projection screen rectangle that you work uh, that you, you you project onto, and and actually projecting onto architecture and projecting onto set pieces, and and he's done work with uh, the Blue Man Group, um, and he recently designed. Uh, Shania Twain's return to Las Vegas. Um, he's currently working on the Marvel Universe Live 
they just went into eight weeks of tech, and uh, and this show is absolutely gigantic. So so Bob is a, has been an absolutely wonderful mentor, uh, and very giving and very very worthwhile. So yes. How did you meet him? Like how did how um, did you get hooked up with this guy? Through uh, a program at the Banff Center uh, called Idea, Interaction Design Engagement and Audience. And it was this think tank that we started out at, um, and and um, I was I was thinking about this whole make mine love thing, uh, and this car chase, and I was talking to Bob, and I said, you know, I'm thinking about using a game engine to build the animation for it. What do you think? And we started comparing notes, and he's a big nerd. He's just a gigantic nerd and loves all things, and he's, he's a, uh, geeky, and and he he got all excited and said, oh yeah, that would be so cool. And in fact, I'd love to to find a way to bring you in on some other projects. So. Um, we continue to talk about that kind of thing, and and uh, and so, anyways, we um, I, I came home from Banff and uh, and had another meeting with uh, with Bob and Tom to talk about a possible workshop to bring the, uh, the, 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 the the idea of the car chase to fruition in a sort of a, uh, a demonstration way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, at that time, also introduced um, um, Jordan Dowler-Coltman to, to the project and, and, um, and also found out that he uh, actually has been involved with uh, the Citadel on previous occasions. He was part of uh, a production of Peter Pan. Um, he was the very first pirate who arrived on the boat. He was hanging off the top of the boat. So he's, he has a, a background in theater. He also is, is um, a filmmaker and uh, a recent graduate of Emily Carr University. And, uh, and he's done really, really interesting work with uh, 3D filmmaking. Um, his uh, graduating piece um, was, uh, was something called The Depths. And it was um, a project that took two red cameras underwater to film 3D underwater. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, and they had to go out and find uh, a, a large pool that they could film in. Um, they had to go out and find, uh, they didn't have, they had to invent housing to protect the 3D, uh, the, the red cameras, because they were using these high-end red cameras. For those of you who don't know what red is, it's a, it's a very high-end digital film camera. Right. Um, there's sort of the two out there, black magic and, and red. And so, you know, Jordan has uh, been um, a major part of, of this whole project, right, from uh, from the get-go, practically. Um, and so, in the summer of 2012, we had a, the opportunity to um, to put something together and and um, bring a, a projector into a, a workshop space. And they brought in Julian Arnold, who uh, ended up being part of the the final production, and and a couple of other actors to play the the roles of, of the characters in the show. And they brought in a mock-up of of a, a movable car that they could move around, and and um, it was a real crapshoot. We we didn't know if it was going to work or not. We just kind of I I threw some stuff into the Unity 3D game engine and and uh, and um, hoped for the best. And we ran it the first time with the actors, and it worked. Really, there was one moment where we had a 360 degree turn that had to happen, and by sheer blind dumb luck. 
it happened on cue at the right time and Bob and Tom were just their jaws hit the floor they were like oh boy they got so excited and then they got critical of course and they need to be critical because they they need to ask the hard questions and 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 so Tom said so that's really nice but it looks a bit like a game <laughs> um yes by we, by design but yeah we, well and and uh, and I, I said, well, I appreciate that. And he says, it, it just, it's just too crisp. It's too sharp. And Jordan, being the clever guy he is, he, he had the presence of mind to um, <laughs> walk over to the projector and just put it out of focus a little bit. Cool. And suddenly everyone went, that's it. That's what we want. So, so uh, a very lo-fi solution to the problem. And, and that was, I think, the biggest thing as well was in the workshop, uh, the Tom and, and Bob saw the potential of being able to work with the technology in rehearsal in real time. They, at one point, they said, um, you know, uh, it, it would be great if the buildings were darker and the windows were bright uh, instead of, of the, the walls of the buildings being. Because typically, when you do a, a photograph of a building, you know, you, you get nice walls and and uh, and windows that are dark right yeah, yeah. Um, and they wanted a nighttime kind of, of thing and I didn't make it enough night so I went into Photoshop on a coffee break and uh, and swapped the basically just reversed the colors out and gave them the the opposite and suddenly all of the the windows were lit up and all of the textures were, were dark and they they sort of looked at me with this what did you do <laughs> <laughs> you, you really Witchcraft. are. Yeah, he really is a Dumbledore. Of, uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> without spoiling the show, sure. how long is this car chase and how much work went into it? Oh, boy. Uh, well, the, char the car chase is about 12 minutes long. Um, That's pretty long. Yeah. It is. Uh, it is. Um, I timed it out and worked out all, did all the calculations on the speed up and slow down and all the rest of it. They travel about two and a half miles through downtown New York. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> At one point, they end up uh, in an alley. Um, they are being chased by bad guys through the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so um, uh, this is sort of an interesting uh, part of the, the whole process as well was um, we, we had originally planned to make the, uh, the whole scene a, a, like a click track, you know, a predictable kind of uh, the gunshots will happen at this time. And, and we recorded the actors rehearsing and we would build the timeline based on their, their rehearsal. And, and as they got faster and faster, we would sort of update that to fit. And um, about a week and a half before opening, uh, Bob had to call a, an emergency uh, production meeting to say we we need to have some flexibility in this and Ooh. and uh, and so um, uh, I had and I you know my very first pitch was to create a dynamic sort of reactive interactive if you will um, animation and and essentially I call it uh, um, uh, scenic puppetry if you know that's that's the, the term I use and uh, what it was 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 um, being able to find a way to allow an operator or a puppeteer to actually control the game engine in real time while the play's going on. 
Well, we took it one step further and, and um, taking, you know, rather than having one poor uh, operator having to react and figure out how fast the car has to go, that sort of thing, um, I was talking with Owen Hutchinson, uh, who is the sound designer, and he said, well, you know, we use these MIDI cues to USB uh, uh, technology that, that, uh, that allowed us to take sounds from the, the, the um, uh, sound effects side of things, the digital sound effects environment, and fire MIDI cues to a USB converter. And then from there, we did key presses, virtual key presses, on the computer that's running the game. So the key press number five, you press five on the keyboard, uh, actually physically on the, on the keyboard with this, this game engine, and it fires a machine gun. So now what we have is we have a MIDI trigger that fires the sound of the machine gun and also tells the game engine to fire the visual of the machine gun. So that way we can always have the um, sound of the machine gun and the visual of the machine gun synced up on cue because the actors needed to have a machine gun fire on a particular line. So, wow. so it's a, a highly queuable, highly configurable, real-time animation. It's not sort of press play and wait for it to run. Now, uh, I have been to 1920s New York. I remember it very fondly. <laughs> and I'm curious how accurate your downtown New York is to uh, the actual 1920s New York. Well, Would I be impressed having been there and seen it well, firsthand? I had to, it was 1938. And so oh, my I, bad. That's okay. It, it's, um, I was there a decade too early <laughs> to really true. capture the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you get, the, you get the spirit of New York. Yeah. Right? Uh, we did a, a, a ton of research into the um, the buildings that existed at that time, uh, and so uh, yeah, we we brought in uh, models of of the buildings that that existed uh, during 1938, uh, and none of the buildings after that. So anything that was an architecture ar architectural feature of the skyline of New York after 1938. We couldn't include. Wow. Uh, I ended up recreating uh, the Madison Square Gardens uh, <laughs> according to, and it looks like a warehouse. Really? It's, back back it's in the day. A, a warehouse with a, a gr ugly green and yellow marquee on the front. Hmm. And they usually listed the, the boxing match that was going to happen that night. Um, and uh, they had skating classes and uh, dance classes in the windows on the. So I actually found archival uh, references and I, I had to. I had to do a ton of Photoshop editing and modification of the thing to make a 3D model out of it. Did you get to travel to New York to do some research on this, or did you do it all virtually from here in Edmonton? It had to be virtual. It was all, a whole lot of uh, Google Maps. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, so. And interestingly enough, the, the distance that you travel from uh, from the Imperial Theater where you start to the Madison Square Gardens where the thing ends is about a block and a half. So we had to kind of get clever as far as where the path of this thing travels, and we, we stretched some reality to, to you know, allow Artistic for the magic of theater. That's, that's what theater's all about, isn't it? It's about exactly. stretching reality a little bit. Now, have, has the, uh, the march of technology, especially when it comes to um, 
projection technology mm -hmm. and, and computer technology really uh, stretched the boundaries of what you can show in theater? Because in my mind, showing a, a really detailed car chase on stage has to be something that you haven't been able to do until recently. Uh, yeah, it's, it's um, the, uh, the tools that we've used are, um, are, are very, very powerful uh, digital media server called a D3. Um, and uh, according to the industry, it's, everyone calls it the Maserati of, of media servers. It's, it's an absolutely glorious machine to work with. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the tool that you use to design the, um, the, the environment and the media that, that goes into this media server is called D3 Designer. And what it allowed me to do was it allowed me to take a, a, a 3D model of the Citadel Schachter stage and then bring in the ground plans from the, uh, from the designer, Breda, uh, and and place them on scale in the environment, and then bring in models of the car and the actors, and you know, and 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 we were able to do a full pre-visualization. So, uh, back in February and March, uh, I was having meetings with Bob to work through a variety of different visuals, including um, the the one thing that you see in the the, the news uh, is the um, the the, the shot of, of um, Rebecca singing in front of three screens, sort of in what we called the newsreel montage. And, and uh, Jordan produced all of the live film segments for that, uh, and a whole ton of filmed pieces. It, the, the real sort of um, uh, iconic movie style of the show really is is the brainchild of Jordan. He brought and he came in and brought in huge 5K cameras, digital cameras, and shot um, a ton of footage back in January uh, at Victoria School. And so we really, Victoria has this wonderful backstage that looks like uh, a 1938 uh, movie studio set, right? Yeah, this so. was this was really, <clears throat> by the way, for those of you who don't know, 1938 backstage uh, Hollywood play. It was a play about a movie that was being shot. So it was really interesting to, to sort of get the aesthetics and, and, and see the sort of like, you know, even, even the scenes where, that you guys did where... Um, the actors and actresses and and producers and such were hanging out at the studio the back the background looked very the buildings looked very art deco you know it was it was it was really quite astonishing it was Thank great you. it was great that's great i'm glad it was convincing i um I, when you're producing these things you're oftentimes in the forest and you see trees and it's not until a live audience is sitting watching the show that you really know whether or not <laughs> it, it's cohesive. You really hope that you're 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 on on the mark. And uh, um, but we we had a number of people who were involved in the design. Um, I, I can't. Uh, say thank you enough to Jasmine Abbey for her her effort. She's part of our faculty at Guru, and she was she was a huge part of of the visual um, still imagery. She created that iconic poster uh, of Make Mine Love that you see in the in the show that looks like it's from uh, 19, uh, 1938. Um, and 
as well as, as the newspaper elements and um, the um, I, we created backs. Uh, the, the, we had a rear projection that was um, an alleyway in in New York. Um, the the Hollywood um, back lot set that is being projected, and the actors have to walk in front of it. We even animated that thing. That that thing. Um, it it's so subtle. No one would ever know that it was animated. But the clouds move and the palm trees wave. And but the trick is is with all of this technology. And you alluded to this this idea of having all of this highly detailed world, it has to be detailed, but it also has to be subtle enough that people don't get distracted or upstaged. But right? the last thing I want to do is upstage the brilliant people who are on uh, doing the scene, yeah. you know, and, and the actors who are who are bringing everything to tell the story, right? And so, so it was a real sort of finessing, and, and even Bob joked about the the idea that you know, um, have you ever seen a grown man cry? Because he he said you're putting all this effort into all this work, and, and half of it's probably going to end up on the, on the f cutting room floor, if you will, right? And and that was, I, I knew what I was getting into. I knew that we were going to end up cutting up back a whole ton of stuff. And, you know, I, I, I have all kinds of, of stuff in the car chase that is highly detailed, but it, it has to be blurry because if people are looking at the, the detail in the car chase, they're not watching the actors, and that's not good. <laughs> no, that's totally right. It was great. Now, uh, with this foray into uh, digital theater, do you think that you'll be uh, not necessarily asked back from by the Citadel, but uh, has it piqued your interest? Would you do this again in, in future projects? And in fact, um, the, the, the big thing that, that um, I wanted to do with this project was to start developing a, a, a vocabulary for digital theater that would allow um, designers and technicians and directors and playwrights to have some some kind of thing that we, they could talk about when uh, for those who are in theater you, when someone says oh well, we want to use a revolve um, on the stage that means something very specific it's a big rotating f disc that sits on the stage and and moves set pieces around and and so the rehearsal implications are suddenly uh, affected the production implications. You need to hire stage carpenters who are going to build the thing. How is it going to be motorized? How is it going to be controlled? All of those things have an impact. And it was sort of um, actually it was Owen Hutchinson who said, you know, you're kind of that mad scientist who sits in the corner and just does stuff, and nobody really knows how you do it. <laughs> All they do is just ask, and somehow it happens. And and. That's both delightful and wonderful. That's a very flattering thing for him to say to me, and I, and I appreciate the, the, the compliment. At the same time, I want to get away from that, and I want the, the theater community at large to be able to talk about what it means to use MIDI triggers in an animation engine to do real-time cueing of visuals on the stage. What, you know, and how can we summarize that in a nice little package, right, um, that suddenly production understands what they were talking about and uh, creative understands it and uh, budget understands it, all of the, the, the parts that, that go into making this thing happen. Because uh, the joy of working with the Citadel and, and other theater companies in the path that I've worked with is that there, there is a, a process that is very predictable mm -hmm. and very reliable. 
and the uh, three weeks of rehearsal are very specifically planned out and laid out um, for all of the, th everything from costumes to makeup to lights to set to uh, actors in the rehearsal hall, and then when they come onto the stage with the real set, working with all of those pieces and whatnot, it's, it's a well-oiled machine. And then <laughs> these pixel slingers come along and go, yeah, and we're going to do some projection stuff too, right? Um, <laughs> and it just threw a, a curveball in this sort of very, very predictable kind of uh, process. Um, so I can't, you know, again, I can't be thankful enough for the, the patience and the, the willingness of, of everyone on the creative team and the production team. Uh, you know, they would let me come and go, and, and uh, I would say, you know, I really need to use the D3 today. Can I come in a little early? And they're like, yeah, no problem. And, they, you know, there was always a, a very embracing and a very nurturing attitude towards the, the work. Um, and, and, you know, it was a lot of work, you know. Those calls were eight o'clock in the morning till. Uh, oftentimes, we didn't finish notes at the end of the night until midnight. Wow. So, and we were back at it again the next day at eight o'clock, and it, we were just racing against the clock for, uh, I would say, a good solid two weeks of just pushing. And and it's all about, you know, you can do all the pre-visualization you want, but until you actually see it on the stage for the first time. It's suddenly, oh, yeah, no, that color isn't quite right. And that, uh, that shape is too jagged, or we need to soften the edges of the video, so we need to create a vignette and re-render, right? The all kinds of little things that you just can't plan for, you have to go into, uh, into, into the actual doing of it and in rehearsal, see it, and then be prepared to make those, those things happen. Wow, it's for a, twelve minutes. Yeah, yeah, for twelve minutes, and and mm. it's not just the car chase scene. Fair, that well, the twelve twelve minutes of the car chase, but then there was a ton of oh, other scenes. All the other yeah stuff. It it yeah. happens throughout the play, and and if you um if you haven't uh, if you're not a Citadel subscriber, uh, set aside some dough, go see this movie. Um, it's playing at the Citadel. Play, play, play. it's <laughs> it's a play. <laughs> But it feels like a movie. Ah, now, yes. it's at the Citadel until the beginning of June, right? But June 1st, actually. So it's, it's, um, it's running uh, for a couple more weeks now. So uh, visit citadeltheater.com. Get your tickets there. It, it is definitely worth seeing. It's a thoroughly enjoyable, enjoyable production. I got to see it on Thursday night. Uh, as a guest of one of the the board members at the Citadel, and and I was I was thoroughly impressed. You should be very proud. Thank you. You Thank and you. the entire cast and crew of what you've done. Yeah. Awesome. It's Thank excellent. You. Thank you. So uh, that brings us to my favorite part of the show, Scott. The Fast Fifteen. The very same. Now we have Fast Fifteen to Owen before many mm. times. <laughs> That was an inappropriate hand gesture it that was. you, our listener, were not privy to. And shall never be privy it's to. It's true. Um, <laughs> but uh, now refresh my memory. Owen perhaps was asked the original Fast 15 questions and I not the updated ones. I think so. I think we had you on either our first or second season. Uh, I think, yeah. And, yeah. and and so we've changed these slightly. Have you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So good. It, good. even more challenging. Excellent. 
And uh, for those of you listening at home, long-time listeners, you can go back to the original Owen Briarly episode to see if his answers still match up today. I will, or if he has a new favorite food, perhaps. It's true. Mm. I will, in fact, link to that previous episode. Uh, I've just made a note of it here. But why don't we, uh, why don't we do the Fast 15, the new Fast 15 with Owen Briarly? Are you ready? Again. A okay. new Fast 15 again. Awesome. Kay. Fantastic. Love it. Here we go. Number one, your favorite food. My favorite food right now is, um, I would have to say Linwood Donaire's. And maybe that's the same last time, but Linwood Donaire's, uh, they make an, an amazing cheese donaire. Love it. All right, sweet. Uh, what about your favorite color? My favorite color uh, at the moment is um, uh, <laughs> green screen green. <laughs> A really good keyable green. There you go. That's perfect. <laughs> like the uh, case of this beer, the, the uh, this beer case. Yeah. Um, Mac, PC, or Linux? Oh, boy. Uh, I Well, you know, I am uh, OS Dextrous. Actually, I, I I love my Mac. Yeah. Uh, I work with PCs, and uh, if it's a server, I love my Linux box. There you go. He loves all of the computers. All of them. Uh, dogs or cats? Dog, cats. Do you guys Do you guys have a cat? We have a cat. You do. Yes. All right. Uh, She's very old. <laughs> very noisy. She gets lost in the hallway. <laughs> oh oh yeah, poor thing. Jeez. Yeah. How about coffee or tea? Uh, coffee. Uh, your favorite holiday? My favorite holiday is the one that I get to have. <laughs> <laughs> eventually one day. Eventually one day. The next one. That's it. The what next... about <laughs> What about your favorite sport? Uh, my favorite sport has always been lacrosse. I, really? Yeah. My dad uh, had me play lacrosse when I was uh, five years old. Yep. Um, and uh, and it was very funny because I, I grew up in BC and that's where sort of lacrosse is the game you play and hockey is the game you play to stay in shape for lacrosse, right? No way. And, uh, and it was the reverse here. And so I spent a lot of time when we moved here. I was a defenseman and uh, um, I spent a lot of time in the penalty box because uh, these guys would show up in their hockey pads for a lacrosse game, and I would be out there being a defense person, you know, d- defenseman, just smacking these guys with cross checks, and I'd get whistled down because you're, in Alberta you're supposed to push, or excuse me, place and push. And, you know, this was, I was a little kid, it was, you know, under 15 kind of thing, and, and he would place and push, and I was like, yeah, sure, place and push, and, and smack as hard as you can. <laughs> um, and then I'd get thrown in the penalty uh, sad news on the lacrosse front, yes. as a slight aside. The Edmonton Rush had a phenomenal season this they year. Did. And they should absolutely be proud of the fact that they went virtually undefeated. But the Calgary Roughnecks had their number in, oh. in the postseason. Yeah. They, uh, they, tied, they lost the first game. They won the second game. It went to the tiebreaker game. Calgary Roughnecks beat them. It and they're off to the NL. And to the credit of the Calgary Roughnecks, they beat a very good team. To oh, make yeah. it to the to the NLL playoffs, sad news for the Rush. But if they can build off of what they did this year, maybe they will go undefeated it, next year. It was a tragedy of the highest mm-hmm. order, no question. Now, uh, what about your favorite pastime? 
Um, my favorite pastime, you know, <laughs> and, and as, as an absolute time killer, there is this game on uh, the iPhone that I don't even remember the name of it, uh, but it's the one that, that you, uh, oh, it's 2048. That's what it is. Oh, yes. The, it, and it's, it's where you combine 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64 uh, up and on a grid and, and you sort of drag them around. And it's the biggest time waster. And there are many different versions of it. Uh, you can you can play Doge to twenty forty eight, where it's it's basically almost like a matching game in that case. Yeah. Yeah. And there's even a version with r- p- photos of Ryan Smith crying. <laughs> it's astonishing. So look up Ryan Smith twenty forty eight. That's awesome. And now you know Owen's favorite pastime. <laughs> what about uh, your favorite music right now? My favorite? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, you're going to groan at this. I am an EDM junkie. Yeah, I, well. Yeah, I love my, my electronic dance music and, and uh, in, in all shapes and sizes. Uh, yeah. Cool. Right on. What about uh, your favorite movie right now? Oh, boy. My favorite movie. Um, Oh, and it's supposed to be a fast 15, isn't it? Yeah, I, <laughs> this is the slow 15. I, oh, um, what did I just watch recently that was cool? Oh, you know what? Uh, here's what it is. And, and I haven't... Th- it, now, this is... It's a favorite movie that I have yet to see. Isn't that ridiculous? Ooh, wow. It, yeah. This could be interesting. Um, uh, and I, I never say his name right. Dobrovsky's Dune, Dune. Dobrovsky's Dune. The documentary. Yeah, the documentary. I'm, I'm really looking for it. Um, we, we sponsored the Global Visions Festival this year. As Guru? Guru, Dig- Guru Digital Arts did. And, uh, and we were able to help bring uh, Dobrovsky's Dune to uh, the Garno. And we, because I was in rehearsal... At uh, at the Citadel, I wasn't able to go see it, and so I'm really looking forward to seeing the show because that's a wild film. Yeah, wild looking film. So it's a documentary about the thing, the the weird stuff that never happened in Dune. It, it never it never got me. It was almost like a Terry but, Gilliam you know, movie. He, and but he, you know, he, the, this guy it was just an absolutely wild man as a filmmaker, and and he was talking to. Um, uh, oh shoot! Who's the the uh, actor Orson Welles? There we go. He was talking to Orson Welles to play the Baron role, and uh, and Orson was was refusing to play the role. And he said, "You love this chef in this restaurant. I will hire him and and bring him to the set, and you will be able to eat this chef's cooking every day." And so Orson said yes. <laughs> you know, crazy stuff like that. So the. The way to Orson Welles' heart was through his stomach. It's true. And that is probably also why he died. Yes. <laughs> Sad but true. Now, you talked about 2048. That might apply to our next question. Um, what is your favorite video game right now? Oh, my favorite video game right now. Um, well, I, you know, I, I'm going to have to say... Uh, more the Dragon Age side of things. I am a Ooh. I am a Bioware fan, really, and uh, a big champion of our uh, Edmonton uh, game team here. And uh, I know a number of people who are working on on that particular game. And and so I am a, a big champion of, of anything that Bioware produces. Um, and uh, and so yeah, Dragon Age is pretty freaking cool. Cool, right on. That's. I think our second guest in a row who's trumpeted Bioware games. Really? That's actually true. And uh, just underscores 
the glaring omission of us never talking to a Bioware person. We are going to correct that one day. They're right here in the city. It's true. It's a good answer. Um, what about if, so if you had one superpower, what would it be if you could have one superpower? Oh, boy. Um, flying and wall crawling are too scary. I'm, I'm afraid of heights. I can't, I can't do that. Okay. Would Mind you be reading? less afraid of heights if you could fly or wall crawl, though? Therein lies the question. Uh, that's an interesting, yeah. I, yeah. Not to derail your answer. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I think it would be the the Jedi mind pull. You know, I'm I'm pretty freaking lazy, and uh, where's and, the controller? And yeah, exactly. And oh, and that would be part of it is not only being able to pull something from where it, wherever it is, but not to have to know where it is and be able to always find the remote just that by I, saying, come to me. That, that would be that would be an awesome superpower. That might be the best answer to that question. <laughs> Force pull, even when you don't know where the object is. <laughs> I need my keys. <laughs> oh, there they are. Awesome. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, dude. Oh, I, you know... I am. I grew up with Star Wars. Star Wars was was my uh, my absolute start. However, Star Trek has so much wonderful stuff in it. Um, you know I, what? They've got holodecks, the original projection mapping. Oh, really? Can I just say nice. Star Trek? Oh, yeah. Star Wars oh, yeah. has holograms. Oh, yeah, they called Fuck. it. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, and Star Trek doesn't have laser swords. That's true. But I am Owen Brierly the first, otherwise known as OB One. Well, shit. <laughs> that sounds like a Star Wars there's, vote to me. There's no other answer to that question. All right. All right. So now we're on to our two wild card questions. Okay. What's the weirdest object you've ever projected onto? Um. <laughs> you're gonna laugh at this. Uh, a wall. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> What do you What do you mean by that? Oh well, well, okay. So uh, one of the very first things we ever did was uh, um, we projected in an alley uh, at like minus crazy something uh, in February for the Alley of Light, and as part of the after party, um, we went into Twenty Nine Armstrong in its old place in the uh, the the in the building Twenty Nine Armstrong. Yeah, and um, we. We brought in these big projectors and just projected on the wall, and uh, and the 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 projectors actually created shadows on the wall. And uh, Lee Nielsen, uh, uh, the our illustration lead and, and faculty lead at, at uh, Guru, he <laughs> he found exactly the right color of shadow to match all these other shadows of these hanging lamps and and painted uh, a shadow of a hanging doll or something. And, and so as people were walking by, they, they were looking at these lamps hanging and then there, there's this, this doll dangling there that wasn't there. And it was like... I see dead people. Kind of, you know? <laughs> so, awesome. It's kind of awesome. Yeah. 
So yeah. And our last question, yep. where do you want to take projection mapping in the city of Edmonton? Oh, you know, one of my dreams come true, uh, it would be to, uh, to map the exterior of the AGA building and, uh, and just get all kinds of crazy stuff happening on those curves. Because that, that to me is the most interesting piece of ar architecture from a projection mapping perspective in the city right now. Well, that would be very cool. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and it was on a our favorite episode. Yeah, it made it made sense for you to be that guy. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, we're done. <laughs> You've been listening to the Unknown Studio, episode one hundred. Our guest Owen Brierly, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. It is our centennial episode. Here we are. Episode number 100, Q Fanfare. <laughs>